Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. On Wednesday, the Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony took place in Cooperstown. All the inductees were from the class of 2020. That ceremony was canceled last year because of the coronavirus pandemic. The inductees were players Derek Jeter, Ted Simmons, and Larry Walker, and Marvin Miller, the late executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association. No one was elected to the class of 2021. I had a chance to get on a Zoom call after the ceremony to get the reaction of Jeter, Simmons, and Walker, as well as Donald Fear, who spoke on behalf of Miller. Miller became the Players Association president in 1966 and basically got the players strong with uh, free agency. There were a couple strikes during his time, and, uh, but uh, Miller you know, made sure the players were uh, protected. They got rid of the reserve clause, and uh, that's uh, what Miller's legacy was. He was able to uh, basically free the players. Uh, Donald Fierce spoke about that. I think he wouldn't have thought about it very much for a different reason than you might think. I was privileged to spend some time with most of the Hall of Famers the last 36 hours. And to a man, they were proud, they were excited, they wanted to see this. He was their guy. And to be with them, I think, would have swamped out all other considerations. I don't think it would have mattered. Certainly not negatively. Uh, Don, why, why do you think his Marvin's family was not excited for him to be inducted posthumously? Well, I think the situation was basically that he'd expressed that to them way back when, and they were honoring what they believed his wishes to be. Um, I think they're both pleased. I think that they believe that the the, uh, recognition is long delayed and well-reserved. Well-deserved, excuse me. The situation was, for obvious reasons, unique. He was an executive. I believe he had more influence on the game than any other individual off the field in the second half of the 20th century. I don't think there's much doubt about that. But the nature of labor relations is adversarial. And I think that the early years uh, were difficult, as were some of the later years when I was in his role. And I think it took a long time for people to come around to the notion that this was the uh, appropriate thing to do. But having been there, I have no doubt that it was the appropriate thing to do. They a recognition uh, that he had, first of all, enormous influence. Secondly, that his job was to protect and defend and enhance the situation of the players. The players, after all, are not only the most important employees, they're the products here too. And that he won through a lot of hard work, a lot of deft negotiating, and an enormous amount of conversation and discussion with players. They're unending trust and if i can say it this way a lot of them simply loved the man i got a bit of a taste of it working for him and then working with him um after that but i think that probably puts it in its place sometimes um in organizations the immediate writers of history are not the ones that you look to down the road when perspective sets in 
Next up is Ted Simmons, a catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, Milwaukee Brewers, and Atlanta Braves. His career began in 1968 and ended in 1988. He was a switch hitting catcher. He batted 285 for his career. He had 2,472 hits, including 483 doubles and 248 home runs. He drove in 1,389 runs. His 182 National League home runs ranked first on the all-time National League switch hitter list at the time of his retirement. He was voted in by the Veterans Committee. Well, it's pretty special after I finished with the speech, but I just was talking to Larry Walker a moment ago. I said, you know, only felt this morning, only felt like this one other time in my life. He said, what's that? I said, this morning I woke up, felt like the morning of the seventh game of the World Series with that kind of anxiety and that kind of anticipation, which at this point is all gone. But I recognized the feeling this morning. It happened one other time in my entire professional life, and it was the morning of the seventh game of the World Series, 1982, Milwaukee and St. Louis. I felt the very same way this morning. We've been together a long time, very long time. You can look that up. I'll not disclose it. But we go back to that era, and Abbey Road, the end. Beatles were raging. And... I wouldn't call myself a Beatles freak or nutbag that way, but that that lyric has been with us a very, very long time. And when I started contemplating the speech, I knew in one form or another. And when it got time to talk about Marianne, that lyric was going to play. Well, you know, you know, when I was interacting with players back in those days, I mean, I always felt, you know, what information I had or had come to understand and feel comfortable with and confident about. It wasn't really my, you know, information. It was like to be shared with everybody. And so, you know, I had a knack for, you know, making things clear quickly in ways that people could get it. And so I always felt it was almost necessary if I knew or understood or got some insight, I felt responsible to convey that to people who could use it in the same way I did. So I was always that way. And then, of course, I make, uh, I assume you're referencing the art collection my wife and I have just delivered to the St. Louis Art Museum. Um, that was a way for us to get back to that community who had done so much for us, having uh, come from the Detroit area, and that community adopted us and so when you interact with a community, you have a similar responsibility. And um, so it's connected that way. Um, that kind of transfer, that connection is related in a way. Well, he'll find it on his own path, but the paths he ends up taking will be very similar to mine. I came to a conclusion after my playing days were over um, that at that crossroads, um, I had decided you're either going to stay in this uniform and go on and become a coach or manager or something, you know, and remain on the field, which meant stay in the uniform. Well, I'd been in a uniform since I was, you know, nine years old in the Little League programs and spent my entire life in one. And I had come to the conclusion I wanted out of that. And so I went to the left side, which was the administrative side, which put me on the path of the executive side, the inner workings of baseball, and found that 
hugely stimulating, even as every bit as much as my, you know, my playing career was. Now, there's nothing like playing. There's nothing like standing at home play, knocking that ball and hitting that, but you know, ball in the nitro zone and watch it go 400 feet. There is nothing better than that. I don't have any illusions. But the other side, it opened me up to the whole industry, to the whole baseball community, and I found out who the scars were, who they, you know, what they thought and where they were. And then the same thing with the general manager side. You, you, it opens up in a way that you can't ever dream um, of seeing as a player. And so once I started down that administrative path, as opposed to staying on the field in uniform, I knew it was the right, right thing for me. And I know, you know, Derek is so stimulated in so many different ways and seen so much. I mean, you know, you know, he, you know, he's like me. He knows there's nothing better than the plan. Nothing better than knocking that ball. But he's looking for new stimulation, and you can see it all over him, and he's going he's gonna to have success there, clearly. Back in those days, when, you know, the reserve clause was in full, you know, flood, I mean, complete, it was, there were no, there was no in or around it. It was the, you know, the day. And the pressure to be, for instance, a player rep or even an alternate representative in the Players Association, a very dangerous place to be. And so when you look back in those early days and you see Tory, you see Seaver, and you see Gaylord, and you see those guys as the player reps, was reason, because they could stand up to it knowing that the management side of baseball would hurt them last. And so you didn't see up-and-coming young people who were vulnerable to begin with in those roles early. And so it was almost a, a rite of passage for the next guy uh, who was, like, armed and serious and talented so he couldn't be as vulnerable as some of the others. And so it's almost something that is not thrust upon you, but you're exposed too early and the responsibility is given to you. I heard it from Dal Maxfield. I heard it from Joe Torrey, who were both on the Weber side of that whole issue in my early days with the Cardinals. They were the guys, and there's a reason they were the guys. They could stand up to the management side and survive it. We'll have a reaction from Larry Walker and Derek Jeter coming up here on the Parting Shots Podcast. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette You Pick 'em Football Contest. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick 'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Pete Incavillia, manager of the Tri-City Valley Cats and former major leaguer. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor and Upstate New York's biggest Philadelphia Phillies fan, Ken Schott. 
Welcome back to the podcast as we look back at Wednesday's Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Cooperstown. Right fielder Larry Walker began his career with the Montreal Expos in 1990. He became a free agent following the strike-ending season in 1994 and joined the Colorado Rockies. From there, his career took off. He won the National League MVP in 1997 when he hit 49 home runs, had a 366 batting average, and stole 33 bases. He also won three batting titles while with the Rockies and five Gold Glove Awards. His career ended in 2005 with the St. Louis Cardinals. His career numbers, a 313 batting average, 383 home runs, 1,311 RBIs, 230 stolen bases, and seven Gold Glove Awards. Walker made it into the Hall of Fame on his final year of eligibility. It was, you know, I woke up this morning. I went to bed about 11 o'clock last night, and I woke up this morning at 1 a.m. <laughs> so uh, there was a lot on my mind uh, the whole morning and leading up to it. And I even uh, scribbled out some things on my speech this morning when I was just laying on the sofa, just reading it again and, you know, changing things four hours before my speech, and I was changing things. So, um, but... Uh, you know, it went good. I, I, I did better than I thought. Uh, I thought I was going to cry some. Even when I practiced at home in front of my kids, I, I, I cried a bit. So um, I wanted to hold it together as best as I could. And uh, fortunately, I was able to do it. Well, I guess uh, with the shirt that I wore on the phone call, obviously got a lot of attention. And, and that shirt's hanging in the Hall of Fame right now. So it's... Uh, uh, it, I had a lot of other people telling me I should have done something more. So uh, the, this is what I decided to do to, to limit it to just a little bit. And I think I can now retire my SpongeBob uh, little episode that I have. It's not like I sit at home and watch SpongeBob on TV. It's just a shirt I grabbed from a golf tournament that I played in. So it was. It turned out to be funny. And like I say, it uh, hopefully added a little humor to the to the evening. Well, it's 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 you know you. If you talk about my career, I always remember making it to the playoffs. And, you know, you don't make it to the playoffs if you don't play that first game. So uh, that first game against the Giants is the one that always uh, stands out up there for me. Uh, you know, I might have had other better games and, and things like that. But that number one game, number one at bat, that whole feeling of uh, stepping into a major league batter's box and, and playing a major league game against major league players, you know, and just, it's, uh, it's never forgotten. It's been an emotional day, and for me to remember all three questions you just asked might be tough to do. So um, I can't remember the first one. Look at me. I'm, I'm serious, too. Like everything, you know, the whole day was, like I say, I, when I set up on the stage, my feet haven't touched the ground, and that's been for the whole time I've, I've gotten here to Cooperstown, and I guess we can go back farther than that. But it, the, the whole experience on, on being here and, 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 and being, you know, just true to myself up there, you know, I'm, I'm – I'm, when I say I'm an average guy in my speech, that's, I, I'd like to really, uh, I would describe myself as that. I can go and get along and talk with everybody the first day here. With a, we uh, walked down Main Street of Cooperstown, met some people, signed some autographs, and that's just who I am. So um, I don't know if that even came close to the questions that you just asked, but uh, here I am rambling. <laughs> yes, so there you go. Um, yeah, never seen the plaque, never saw the writing, what it said or anything. Where that... Uh, when those things are brought out on the stage, that's the first time we we see them and uh, and know what's on them. So, pretty neat thing. I know they read it. Uh, once again, I'm getting ready to do that speech, and 
my head's in outer space, so I can't remember what it, what it said. You've mentioned about the Montreal Expos, and you want to see a, a team in, in Montreal again. What was the experience like playing in Montreal, and, and how disappointing was it for the way that 94 season ended because of the uh, strike? Well, you know, Montreal it was, like I say, it was where it all started, and I had you know, many great times up there. Uh, like any team that doesn't win, you wish it could have been that way to where we could have won. And uh, you, you wish that 94 season didn't end. And, and who knows, baseball might still exist in Montreal to this day. I've said that, you know, time and time again. So, um, you know, but I, I guess it was, it, was a, it was my big league team. It was the team I signed with, you know, the team that gave me that $1,500 bonus. So uh, I was loyal to them until until Bill was over. You know, But unfortunately, you know, it's a, it's a business and uh, we all understand that. So, uh, you know, I had to move on from there eventually, but uh, it, it was a great time up there. And, and now look at I forgot the second part of your question already, too. So <laughs> Up next is Derek Jeter. What can you say about uh, Derek Jeter? The captain of the Yankees, five World Series championships, uh, three over 3,600 hits in his career. Uh, memorable play in the 2001 Division Series against the Oakland Athletics when he uh, intercepted a uh, Aaron throw from Shane Spencer and flipped it to Jorge Posada to get Jeremy Giambi at the plate and in game five of that series and the Yankees won that series but thanks to that play and of course uh, the missed November home run against the Arizona Diamondbacks in game four of the 2001 World Series. A lot of fans were there to see Derek uh, get inducted into the Hall of Fame on Wednesday. A lot of members from the Capital Region made it out there. Of course uh, Derek Jeter played briefly for the Albany County Yankees of the Eastern League in the uh, team's final season at Heritage Park in 1994. Here's what uh, Derek Jeter had to say. Oh, man, so it's a little bit different. This one's a little bit longer, Brian. So, uh, and, and also you're trying to capture a 20-plus year professional career, which is difficult to do. It's impossible to do it in a short period of time. So, uh, you know, I try to touch on a few things that, that I thought was important. But, you know, like I said, there's still a lot of people i got to reach out to personally and make sure they, they understand how I feel about them and the important role that they played in my career. So let me start with, you know, being unsure of what the ceremony would actually look like. Um, you know, that took some time because, you know, originally we were going we were gonna to do it and it was going to be in an auditorium and there was no fans going to be there. Your family couldn't even be there. And then uh, to actually have uh, the fans show up today, look, I mean, it's in the middle of the week. It's Jewish holiday, you know, COVID kids are in school. So to have this number of fans show up, it, I really appreciated it. But when it comes to, to the speech, uh, you know, I wasn't nervous coming here today. Um, you know, you start listening to, uh, you know, the other speeches, speeches before you and you're looking at their family members and, and they're starting to show some tears and you know I tried not to establish long eye contact with my family when I was speaking because I, I didn't want to want to lose it so uh, yeah I say there's butterflies right before you go up but um, yeah I, I wouldn't say I was necessarily nervous it will uh, Tyler when I leave here because we have the uh, dinner with just the Hall of Famers and, uh, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. You know, I've got a chance to, to speak to a few of them, not in a big group setting, and meet their families. But um, I think at least that's what I've been told as well. That's when it's going to really hit you is when you're in there and you're having the dinner and it's the only members of the Hall of Fame. You see those fans out there, just the emotion and the, the love that they give you. How special was, is that feeling? Yeah, you know, look, we, we've grown up together. You know, a lot of these fans, uh, you know, I, I debuted when I was 20 years old. I retired when I was 40. I mean, these 
20 years, and, you know, I've said it before about Yankee fans, they watch every day. You know, they live and die with, with uh, you know, how the Yankees perform on the field. So they've seen me grow up. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I've been a part of, you know, their, their childhood up to their adulthood. And, um, you know, the Yankee fans appreciate their history. That's what makes it so special. That's what makes the organization so special. So to have that number of people come out here, like I said, all things considered, uh, you know, I'm glad I had a chance to, to share that experience with the fans because they're a big reason why I'm here today. And you forget about how good it feels. Uh, you know, it's been a while. Uh, you know, the, I'm trying to think the last time I heard that many people chant it, you know, was at a, at a game, um, you know, maybe one of our, uh, maybe it was a 96 reunion, possibly. So, yeah, it always feels good, man. It's, it's you know, you, you play the game for a long time and, and ever have that many people chanting your names, it's a special feeling. It's humbling, right? But it's a special feeling, and, and, and you, you tend to miss it when you don't hear it anymore. You know, look, I'm, 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 I'm very – I have a uh, very good group of close friends, and they come from all walks of life. And, yeah, I was, I was lucky that uh, a few of them were able to make it. I know more wanted to come, but all things considered and circumstances, uh, you know, people were here in spirit. But, you know, anytime you have people that you've, you've played with for a long time, you've looked up to, you've uh, you shared stories with and experiences with, and, and for them to come out and, and show that support, um, you know, one of the special things about today is you get a chance to share it with your family, you get a chance to share it with your friends, because they know more about you than most other people. I, I, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm, of course, I'm satisfied, right? This is as high as you can go in terms of playing career. Uh, so it doesn't get any more special than this. There's, there's no other awards or accolades you can receive. Uh, so from a career, playing career standpoint, man, I guess, yeah, it does close the chapter. Uh, what am I looking forward to next? Obviously, um, what I'm doing down in Miami, but also family. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I talked about my parents quite a bit and, um, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, raising my, my girls now and being there to support whatever dreams they have. So I, I think, uh, you know, those are the two things that I'm looking forward to most now. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. The NASCAR season is here and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to DailyGazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Union Men's Hockey Coach Rick Bennett. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 26 winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is Robert Prusco of Scotia. Robert wins a $50 grocery gift card. Congratulations, Robert. The VIP winner was Anthony Manning of Colonial Car Wash. 
I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the link for contests and promotions. The NFL season kicks off Thursday, and that means you can see my picks and where you can watch the games. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports to see my picks and the TV listings. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I will have another podcast on Thursday as I preview the NFL season. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schatz. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.